0: So this is part 2, but it's completely different from part 1, completely different topics, 100%. And what this episode ultimately boiled down to is when should you give up on something that's important to you? And we also talk about some BS that's been happening on college campuses lately and you know, some things that have been personally hitting both of us. So, here's Brian Keating again. Enjoy This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host.
1: This is the James Altager show. So yeah, we haven't really caught up what's uh, what's new? Well, well, and, what is
0: what is going on with you? what What's the latest stuff?
1: Um well, you know, things are things are kind of interesting for me. I, I've finally gotten to a point. Where, you know, I don't really have, I, I would say I am, I've am i accomplished a lot of stuff in the last few years. I've had, last year was my best year, you know, that I've ever had in my whole life. I had just incredible trips and and fun family time and great stuff at work. And uh, I was on your podcast a couple of times. The highlight and, of the year. And you helped me uh, prepare for my Joe Rogan podcast. That was the last time we talked back in August, I think. And then I went on with Joe Rogan, and I was on Jordan Peterson's podcast, yeah. and I was uh, did some teaching for Jordan Peterson's uh, online university, and uh, you know it was just a great year, except for the you know really horrific uh, right. terrorist attack in Israel, which happened about a week after I was there, uh, celebrating my bar mitzvah with my family in Israel. Um, you know, basically a week or two later, we got back and. All hell broke loose, and and that was uh, really, I mean, it kind of compensated for all the joy in some sense in the year, and and really just left it as uh, as as you know a very a very negative year overall because of you know my connections to Israel. Um, How,
0: how's how's us how's UCSD University of California San Diego? How's it reacting to all this? Is it similar to like? What we saw with Harvard, MIT, Penn? Yeah, or is I it? mean,
1: nothing is as bad as those. Uh, I mean, those were, I mean, truly just horrendous public relations disasters. I still can't believe the, you know, co- uh, the woman at MIT is still in her job. I mean, that's really pathetic. Um, at least, you They know. haven't even,
0: qu- I don't feel like they've even questioned her. Like, and she's... She's the one who kind of started off with, like, genocide. The word genocide depends on the context. Yeah, that's it's right. Which is crazy.
1: Yeah, I, I've uh, just never seen such you know, incredible, you know, cowardice and just unwillingness to call, you know, something horrific uh, by by its real name. And it wasn't—it it was just—if you if you told me, you know, there'd be the worst terrorist attack, you know, the equivalent of, you know, 10 9-11s uh, for this country the size of Israel— and then the next day at my campus, there'd be, uh, there'd be you know kind of uh, vigils to commemorate the martyrs of Palestine, and uh, and then there eventually there was an ISIS flag flown in front of the student government voting to declare anti-Semitism, condemn anti-Semitism, which failed. <laughs> So there was a student government, and these are not Jewish. These are mostly Asian and, you know, Caucasians or whoever. Almost none of them are Jewish on the student Senate. And there were, like, the students for Palestine were putting up ISIS flags in front of the student center building and telling them they're complicit in genocide. And, you know, this happened within weeks of the worst massacre in, in, you know, modern history since the Holocaust. And it was just, you know.
0: What I don't understand, like, first off, there's so many, like, Whenever someone argues about this, whatever side, it always comes up, okay, the killing... It, there, there's this kind of straw man argument. Israel's bombing Gaza, the killing of children is... An, we all can agree it's an evil thing. And yes, that's a that's like a true statement. Killing children is an evil thing. It just so happens now Israel's bombing Gaza, children are being killed. But how come the... So, so there's this straw man kind of argument to kind of fit it into that model... But meanwhile, if like someone robs a bank, they go to jail unless they return the money and they still go to jail. They committed a crime, but maybe the crime is lessened if they try to undo the damage of the crime, which can't be done when there's murders and rape and all that kind of stuff. So how come the same people say, okay, well, we can stop the killing of children. We can prevent it if all the hostages are returned and the leaders of Hamas who are criminals are turned over. So how come, that's what I don't understand is why does it, like AOC, you know, all these people, and, and AOC is very talented politician, whatever, but they're all saying ceasefire immediately. There was hostages taken. There's even American hostages taken. Oh, yeah. Like, why weren't they calling for that?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's just no, there's no consistency. I think, you know, Israel's, you know, Douglas Murray said something, you know, like, Israel's the only country that can't win a war, but it also can't lose a war. Like, they're the only country where you could tell another country how they should react to the slaughter of their civilians, you know? And and so there's there's been... I think that there's you know, a narrative that Israel's the, you know, colonializers and they're white and they're successful, which is all lie. lie. I mean, I was there in September in the high holidays. And so ordinary Jews don't work during the high holidays but there's a ton of Arab and Muslim and Bedouin and Druze and all sorts of other uh, uh, Israeli citizens i mean they are 20% of the uh, uh Israeli population are not Jews
0: and 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 the the not the, the Arab Israeli citizens okay so these are in Israel itself not in Gaza or West Bank so they're from all Middle Eastern countries they're they're Arab Muslims and they're Israeli citizens, they have full equal rights in yeah, Israel. They
1: have a political party. They're on the Supreme Court. They're uh, they serve in the military. So one of the guys I, I was with, it uh, was a very interesting guy. His father, they're Bedouins, and uh, they his father was um, retiring after twenty six years in the IDF as a colonel. And, you know, they're devout Muslims. And, and this guy was really wild, uh, Mohammed. You know, I met every single guy was Mohammed or Ahmed or Ahmed Mohammed. And, uh, you know, we talked all the things. You know, he doesn't like Trump, but he hates Biden. You know, is everyone feels like they have to talk to you about politics whenever you're with them. This is in their version of Uber, uh, you know, driving around to go see my relatives on uh, Rosh Hashanah or whatever. And... To a person, they, they were like, you know, there's, they're, you know, they have full rights. They own restaurants. they I mean, Israel is is even more liberal a democracy than America. I mean, there's a gay party in the Knesset. I mean, there's, you know, no, forget about Arab party, and there's ultra orthodox, and there's, there's. How does
0: that? How, how does the gay party? What's their stance on taxes?
1: Uh, yeah, I think they're, they're, uh, they're, they're very sound money efficient. They're very, uh, Austrian economics, you know, uh, really, or, I don't know. Uh, but they, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, you know, so it's a very vibrant culture and, and all the, you know, it's interesting, the highest educated, um, Arabs in the world live in the Palestinian territories. You know, they attend schools in Israel. They are taught by Jews and Arabs. Uh, there are, you know, incredible social programs for them. They serve in the military. I mean, it, it, to call them, you know, just the, the world is, is there's a special hatred of Jews and it's always been that way. And Jews have faced this. I, I thought that anti-Semitism was kind of overblown. I, I said, well, you know, you have all these, you know, you know, kind of crazy people and yeah, of course you're always going to have, you know, there's 10% of the population thinks that, Aliens are visiting us right now or, you know, Elvis Presley is still alive and, you know, 10% of the population are alcoholic felons. And, you know, so of course you're going to have some nut job. I, I didn't think there were no anti-Semites, but just a degree in the virulence and the hatred of, you know, tearing down posters. You know, there's a one-year-old baby, you know, turned one-year-old today. And he's a hostage. I mean, this has never happened in, in modern warfare. And then, you know, they have plenty of rockets. You know, I remember they said, like, Gaza is going to be out of fuel and the hospitals are going to be out of fuel and food. And I just don't know. You know, I, when I was there, I actually thought for a very first time in my life that there was a possibility of a two-state solution, just talking to the Arabs. and But I realized I only met Arabs from the West Bank. And those are the, you know, those are the ones that are most closely in contact with with uh, Jews because, you know, Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005 and there was you – know, it's a Jew-free zone for the last, you know, 17, 18 years. But in the West Bank, you know, Jews and Christians and I was there with one of my wife's friends and, and you know, our whole family and she went to Bethlehem and, and you know, she's a Christian and, you know, she, it, was, it was wonderful. But, you know, now I think there's absolutely zero chance. I don't see there's any possibility – uh, you know, there's even more support now in the West Bank for Hamas than there is in Gaza. Like, Gaza's totally destroyed and reeling from it. And, you know, uh, I've been sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. But I mean, there's just no way you can envision making peace with with people that will come. Like, it wasn't just the military wing of Hamas. It was civilians. There was like a thousand civilians that came into, into the kibbutzes and and those were people that had worked in the and you know, done, you know, in the restaurants and in the kibbutzes, and they, you know, they had work permits like we have people from Tijuana that come to San Diego every day. I mean, if they were launching rockets and and cutting off the heads of babies and burning whole families alive and videotaping it on GoPros, and then sending the video to the parent, you know, we would I mean, Tijuana would probably have, you know, like zero population, there wouldn't be a building there. <laughs> Uh, it would be completely leveled, and we would be have the you know first Marine armored Division would just be sitting there forever. so i I am completely pessimistic. I've changed a hundred you know eighty degrees. I don't think there's any hope of peace, you know, right now. I think that there's you know there's calls for it. but um so it's been, you know, you ask me, yeah, uh, how am I doing? so it's it's been pretty rough on campus as well. I mean, you have people, um, you know, that my students that I teach, I have a student. Um, I won't say his name, but he's a devout, you know, Muslim and, you know, and he's super, he's just like so sweet. He's the, he's the only one of my students and I have Jewish students, (laughs) you know, he's like, how are you doing? How have things been? I've had many Muslim students. I've, I've never once thought I should boycott and, uh, and, and protest Palestinians. They shouldn't even be allowed to come to campus. And, and this is like common now that they don't want my Israeli colleagues to visit campus They don't want us investing in companies that do business. And I'm I'm just thinking like, I'm teaching these students and, and you can't teach someone that you don't like. You cannot teach someone that you don't trust. And similarly, you can't learn from someone who you don't like. Like, so if these students are with me and I'm, and I'm very vocal and I've been quoted in newspapers and, and in the Chronicle of Higher Education and, you know, they know how I am. So I it's just like an untenable situation. How campus became the focal point for both Israel-Palestine relations and for anti-Semitism and the greatest display of anti-Semitism since the Holocaust, it's just it's completely blown me away. And it's something I feel unsafe, you know, being in a place that, you know, this this campus it's the 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 leadership is is just so equivocal um and and not just taking a stance look we're not supporting any anything hamas is a terrorist organization so when you say you 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 want to have a vigil for the martyrs you're saying that they what they did is martyrdom and that's legitimate and the killing of innocent civilians and rape and hostage taking and beheading is okay and so to have this on the you know place where you know there should be the the most revered intellectual scholarship uh, undertaken it's 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 truly ridiculous and i'm a professor i have students that are like terrible they had to call the police they were had to be evacuated from this meeting where they had the isis flag on display outside you know like some young girl you know jew jewish girl she can't take you know defend her they're screaming in her face and holding up an isis flag and this is at ucsd it's not a polit- it's not berkeley it's not columbia and so uh, I think you know we've we've let in a lot of people into our campuses that don't share American values and and um, don't see the virtue of the only democracy in the Middle East. It's it's kind of uh, been a real eye opener for me. But
0: yeah, and it's an eye opener in the sense that, like you said, I didn't realize it was so big. The the eagerness to which they they wanted to cling to a cause that was anti-Semitic. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how big that was in in terms of the population, percentage of the population of the
1: U.S. they would never among, say it. I mean, I got people. email after email. Look, I got emails from the chancellor, from the board of regents, from the president of the whole UC system, you know, when Roe versus Wade was repealed. You know, there's psychological services available to you, and there's this and that, and you may have a safe space, and, and if you want to have counseling... And then you know, for days after this, it was like you know we we are troubled by the events in the Middle East, you know uh, and only after you know hundreds of professors and students and yeah you know, huge uproar and 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 we asked our our chancellor to to confirm that you know whether or not genocide is context dependent and he never responded about it, really yeah, so you know, so should he be fired? Well, I think the when you become a university bureaucrat, your number one job is to keep your job. And I actually said, you know, it's a good thing that UCSD isn't as prestigious as as Harvard or so. Like, if you're the president of Harvard, like, what is she going to do with her life? Like, there's no there's no place for her to go. Or McGill. You
0: or, don't think there's some like think tank
1: who would funded hire in part? I mean, who would, like uh, there are? No, no, you're right. There are people in, in government. I'm sure you know, like uh, uh, like there's
0: money. There's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of money out there that comes from like Qatar and... But that and Qatar is the is most like prestigious. The yes, funder.
1: That's right. But that is the most prestigious. In other words, she achieved the apex of my profession, which is president of the world's most prestigious university, right? There's nowhere to go in that contextual domain but down. And so... But she is making...
0: She's still a professor there making a million a year.
1: But think about it. She's been out of the career of being a professor. She hasn't taught a class in 20 years. She hasn't done research in probably 30 years. Um, she's not going to be going to conferences talking about how to be a best practice as a president because she's not a president. All of her skills are perished, you know, have perished. And yes, of course she's still getting paid. Of course they're not, they didn't fire her. Neither did they fire the woman at Penn um, and uh, from her professorship. So, you know, uh, and they also didn't fire the the president of Stanford who either plagiarized or committed academic malfeasance himself, this guy something, Levine, um, uh, last year, and he just went back to being a professor. So I'm like, wait, you can still be in academia? Like, academia is the only only position where you can get fired and still keep your job. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't know of another— I mean, imagine Tim Cook, you know, is embezzling money, And they're like, okay, well, we're going to demote you from being CEO, but you're going to be chief engineer of the uh, Siri team. It's insane. But academia, it's totally normal.
0: So, so like you said, this totally transformed the year for you and making it a net negative, your your best yeah. year ever. Do you, this year, what's going on? Like obviously it's, this, it's the same thing is happening, but do you have any, how's the podcast going? How, do you have any projects on the horizon?
1: Yeah, the podcast has been going really well. I, it hit like right after I was on your show and Rogan's show, I hit number 71 podcast in the world. Wow. That was pretty cool on Spotify. That is cool. And uh, yeah, it's it's really. Last time I was number one was like t- 2016, maybe. Yeah.
0: You know, because it's a function also of how many new signups you get. That's you right. You must have gotten a lot of new signups mm-hmm. after uh, uh, yeah. Rogan.
1: Yeah. So that was that was great. And you know, we we kind of kept in touch a little bit, and I'm supposed to maybe see him in in April for this eclipse that's going through Texas. Um, and uh, really, I'm kind of in this interesting phase right now where. I'm just really trying to tune in, you know, be with the family, uh, concentrate on my research. The Simons Observatory is going to hopefully start taking data in April. Do you, do you think?
0: Do you think you're depressed a little bit?
1: Um, I mean, it's impossible not to be depressed from everything that's happened, you know, in, in Israel. I mean, and and just feeling like I chose this profession, the life of the mind, and this is all I've ever wanted to do and all I could do, um, and and really found this podcast to kind of be almost like um a salvation a respite you know a different career it's it's it is a different career for me in that you know kind of the david brooks you know second mountain kind of scenario where now it's um i've kind of garnered as much as i think i can in my profession you know like i don't need more attention you know thank goodness i'm funded well i've got great students um you know fully tenured Um, And so in terms of my mountain number one, I feel super content. And so now it's about, well, like, how do I give back? How do I, you know, scale and do teaching? And and the podcast has been, you know, this this, incredible outlet for me. Like, tomorrow I'm supposed to talk to Sam Harris, you know, for the first time. Oh, really? You haven't had Sam Harrison? No, no. I mean, you know, it was, yeah for a while it was, you know, kind of like, well, do I want to talk to him? Is it going to be, you know, beneficial? Is it, you know, because, because you know, he got very political on one hand and he kind of withdrew from, you know, social media on another hand. And I didn't want to talk to him about, you know, the same old stuff of, you know, well, what do you think of the Biden laptop? And so, you know, I really want to do, so I've kind of pivoted like this, this the way that I want to do podcasting now is I used to feel a lot of pressure and it's thanks to you, you know, or blaming you in, in some ways because <laughs> you prepare so well and you always kind of conveyed that one of your superpowers was like how well, you know, how much you invested in research and reading, you know, books and stuff. And I just kind of got a little burned out from that. Like, Uh, do I have to read the entire book of, you know, every single thing that Sam Harris has ever read, you know, before I uh, written, before I go and interview him?
0: No, I, I, I mean, I've read quite a bit of Sam Harris books in, in, in the back in the day. I, he, Sometimes actually, I avoid some guests because it's too much to read.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, for him, it certainly is. And you know, so now I'm like, well, why don't I lean into what's unique about me? For example, do you know Morgan Housel? This guy who wrote the Psychology yeah. of Money. Like he's yeah, supposed yeah. to come on in a couple weeks.
0: He has a good new book out. Yeah, um, I just ordered it. Uh, same
1: as ever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds really good. It is. It is really good. But he's done so many interviews. Like he he's he's really good at doing interviews, and he's got his own podcast. And so I was like, I want to have you on, but I don't want to, t- I don't want to spend a single second talking about your book. In fact, I've picked up like where these people are interested in science or, uh, consciousness or thing. And like, sometimes he'll just talk about like, oh, Einstein said this about compound interest. And so I'm like, well, let's go into that. Let's not talk about, well, you know, we should, uh, invest in, 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 um, in stocks, you know, in Pepsi and, you know, uh, that's boring. He's talked about that I, ad nauseum. So
0: I, I agree with that approach. I think all these podcasts are better as conversations. Yeah. And I think to some extent, you know, I watch a lot of podcasts. I see a lot of podcasts. I kind of learned that not only from experience doing podcasts, but from watching Joe Rogan, who I think Mm. is an, Obviously, exceptionally good, and he, he he reads zero.
1: He has I yeah. Don't think he he's just turns a into a and, conversation. Yeah, it's and he, I sent him my books before I went. He didn't open them up. I don't even think they were there. Um, but he likes to design kind of the vibe and and make sure that the conversation is in the state of flow and 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 you know hes just you're with him and you just feel like you're extremely important and there's something about being in person and I, I know that you know you've done mostly and I've done mostly remote interviews and in the no, past. No, I've
0: done mostly in person until COVID. Yeah. So the first no, I know. Half Yeah. Of, of my history was all in person and now this second half since March 2020 has been mostly Remote. There's been there's pros and cons to both because I can do more podcasts remote. Yeah, and it opens me up to a larger number. They don't have to be in New York City, for instance, for me to do, do a podcast yeah. with them. But uh, you know, it's it's different.
1: I asked Sam Harris, you know, because he lives in Los Angeles, and I was like, you know, I could come up there very easily, and you know, my friend Eric Weinstein, and you know, kind of introduced me to him. And uh, he's like, no, I'd rather do it remote. (laughs) So, you know, it just made him feel more. And I can understand that. Like, he doesn't know who I am. I mean, he could look it up, but, like, how much research is... It's lower stakes when you're remote because you just show up on a a video screen. I do feel like there's something to be said about doing stuff in person. I, I did one with Brian Green when I was in Manhattan in November, and that was really cool to be in his office. And, you know, there's a different vibe set when you're in person but um yeah i don't know if it's if it's like uh, you know if if i should kind of lean in, in that in that sense and and you know tr- try to figure out i've i've kind of tried to stop doing any kind of advertising or any kind of you know i just do the automatic advertising on youtube and and i do the automatic advertising on you know a megaphone or you know spotify and not having cuz i was like what do i need i don't know, like do I even need to get money from the podcast? I mean, doesn't that make my life? I mean, I know it's your job, and that's that's great, and you should get paid for it. But, you know, dealing with sponsors and then deadlines, and then, oh, they didn't like the way you read this link, and you said .com, but it's really .org. You know, I'm just like, damn, I, now I have a boss. Like, I, I don't need that anymore. So I'm trying to withdraw from, you know, any, any you know, saying no in the power of no and trying to, you know, just do what I enjoy about it. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say, you know, depression. I, I would say the question of, of like, what is, is there a goal with podcasting? Is it an infinite game? Do you just want to keep doing it forever? You know, if it's not my job, I get, you know, I get rewarded for it. Um, you know, I have a big team now doing my YouTube videos, which has really exploded. You know, I've got over 200,000.
0: Yeah, you do really good on, on YouTube. Um, yeah. I never really... Caught that wave,
1: yeah. It's it's the only way to get discovery, right? I mean, there's no podcast advertising that really works. And now with Google, I don't know if you know this, but you know Google Podcast is going away. So I think they're driving everybody to YouTube Podcast. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with your you know kind of YouTube following and downloads. Once, well, not- you know,
0: I I I think if you have subscribers, they stay. Yeah. So I haven't really, I haven't really, I grow subscribers, but not as much as like you did after you were on Joe Rogan. Like growing subscribers is is difficult, but maintaining subscribers is not so difficult. Yeah. And I'm very happy I've maintained... You know, yeah. I started off with a nice audience and I've maintained it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you've been doing it, you know, almost as long as anybody. And I just, I've really enjoyed like meeting, you know, the people that I've met, like uh, Jordan Harbinger. I met him in person. Finally, he came down to San oh, Diego. Yeah, he's such a good guy. Yeah. I actually met him like the day before October, you know, 7th. <laughs> he came oh to my, my house gosh. for, it was a holiday. So we had, uh, you know, and he's Jewish. So we we had a, a meal together. I didn't know he
0: was Jewish. Yeah. I don't he's, think Jewish. I that. yeah
1: he's trying to get Israeli citizenship. Uh, really? Yeah, he's always uh, he's always trying to you know make sure he's got a parachute you know to get out of get out of town if he needs to. But um, you
0: would have a fun. By the way, it's not in your category at all. But you would have you would have a fun time talking to Noah Kagan, who was just on my I podcast. No, no,
1: yeah, Noah's a good friend. He's been to my house many oh. times for Shabbat. Yeah, oh, no, he's okay, got his, he's got his new book out. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's uh, he's a character. He's he's been really hustling for many years. Yeah, I met him yeah. three or four years ago. I forget. How I just followed him on his podcast and yeah, I've been watching him. I have a copy of his book somewhere here because he was—he's was gonna come on my podcast, but I'm like, it's just a bunch of STEM, you know, nerds. Uh, I don't think you're gonna sell any books. And he was cool, uh, you know. I—I I got to read it and yeah, he's—he's—he's he's, he's a great guy. Um, the other guys, yeah, I mean, I've gotten close with Jordan Peterson. He's, he's super, super interesting guy. He's always under attack. That guy is, you know, he's, he's got more kind of people attacking him than, than any person should ever have. But, um, he, he's a soulful, he's a very sweet guy. I mean, for someone who's as bombastic, as aggressive, he doesn't take any crap and, uh, and he's just incredibly courageous. And I don't know. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. It's it's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I, that I've, was good.
0: He, he, he's been on my podcast before. And uh, yeah. I kind of used it like, I took his the fact that he's a therapist more than the fact that he's like this modern day philosopher. And I basically had like a therapy session Yeah, I know. The Actually, <laughs> the, you should
1: know, the day I recorded his podcast back in March of 2023, uh, I was listening to your podcast with him. Uh, because I, there are, most of his interviews are just like so abstract, like, and by the way, when I was on his podcast, I didn't talk about like transgender and it was only about black hole. It was just like the first part of this pod. It was only about cosmology, the big bang, philosophy, religion. Uh, and he's, he's just an incredibly deep individual. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, well, what's, what's, what do you have on the horizon? Is it just like, are you, you know, kind of, make, cause your kids are gone, right? They're out of the house, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was, I I had this, or I still have this theory that that as we get older, the thing that drives us forward is this concept of going on a quest. So finding some impossible, improbable thing to seek out and whether or not you get there, you'll have it. If it's impossible enough and hard enough, you'll have adventures along the way. You just have to have adventures along the way. So whether it's, you know what you're doing with your experiments, trying to find the beginnings of the universe, or becoming like the best podcaster that ever existed, or you know, I went on a six or seven year journey in stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. I went on, and and for the past couple of years, I've been trying to. You know, I was a competitive chess master when I was younger, and I've been trying to. Uh, my my listeners have heard this, but there's a new twist as of this week. Oh yeah, uh, I, I've been I've been trying to get back to my old. Rank. Oh yeah, my old rating in chess, and so I've been playing in tournaments. And you know, you keep the title master forever, but your rating goes up and down. Yeah, and I just after a 25 year break, it looks like I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm almost at the point of giving up on mm. this particular quest. And you know, King Arthur never found the Holy Grail right. <laughs> in, in the literature, but they had lots of adventures. I've had I've had amazing adventures, whether it was comedy or chess or before that running a hedge fund or whatever i've had amazing adventures in the past two years that i could not have believed but i just don't know if i could do it and so i have to figure out what to do next
1: Imagine you say, like, I want to be the next Joe Rogan or, you know, some young guy or, you know, but they don't have any, um, like, Joe Rogan didn't just start off being a podcaster. You didn't start off being a podcaster. You have this whole, you know, backstory, this whole life story before, you know, podcasting was even a word, and and you know that's what makes people interesting. Like to just say, well, I'm good at asking questions, or you know, I'm going to be uh, you know a raconteur. People don't really care. You know, you you could be, maybe you are the you know Charlie Rose or you know whoever, or Larry King, and that's something natural for somebody to do but mostly it should be like you're a guru in your own field and then you see these connections these tendrils that stretch out to other fields like i can talk to a finance guy like uh, morgan hansel but talk to him about you know physics and and you know and and happiness or religion or you know what have you or being a parent those are things you get outside of the podcast like you can't become an interesting podcaster just being a podcaster right
0: <laughs> right but So, like, this was something, though, I was, like, this quest on, that might be more related to, like, my quest on comedy, where I was starting from scratch. Yeah. Although I'd been a public speaker, I hadn't been a comedian. It's very different. Yeah. But this, though, it was just, it was, like, an age-related thing. Like, can I get back to where my youth was? And it's, it's looking like, whether I can or I can't, it's looking at least much more difficult than I thought it was, which is surprising to me. How important and, is,
1: like, achieving that number versus, like, being, you know, winning tournaments in your age group now?
0: I feel like I want to demonstrate that I could still improve at the rate I was able to improve when I was younger. Well, when I was younger, I studied, I improved. I studied, I improved. Mm-hmm. Now, I study, my knowledge increases but my results have not increased at all hmm. in two years, hmm. and I just—and it's frustrating. Yeah. And so maybe I might write about the experience because lots of, like I said, lots of adventures, lots of life-changing adventures have happened along the way, and it's been. Are you fascinating doing other what, stuff what like
1: you know, nootropics or, or you know, I'm sleeping, doing everything. Uh, psych- uh, psychedelics or, or
0: you know, or, I, I've spoken to nutritionists, you know, nootropic people neurologists, sleep sports coaches, the I took memory lessons from the world memory champion. Oh wow. I've I've had I flew to Norway to have dinner with Magnus Carlsen, oh, the wow. best chess player in history. Yeah. So I've had like amazing, I've learned so much about the mind, the brain, the body, competitiveness, sports, games, you know, and again, what's the difference in the brain between a young person, an older person. How can I use that to my advantage? What those differences are. Do you think that there
1: are things like that? Like I, I, I'm just making an analogy in in physics or in math. You know, it's very difficult for a 55 year old mathematician to do. In fact, it's probably impossible. Uh, but in experimental physics, you you only accumulate, and it's a cumulative endeavor. Like is chess more like math or is it more like experimental physics? It seemed to me it's, hard it's to- more
0: like math yeah. and less like. I'll take an extreme, okay, because I don't know experimental physics. Yeah. It's much more like math and it's less like history where, the average, where the, pe- the average peak age of a historian is 69 years old. Because as you get older, your ability to just raw calculate and be creative and see things in your head that don't yet exist is better when you're younger. Like your calculation speed, your, the speed of your thoughts is faster and your memory is better and your originality is better. But as you get older, your ability to say, oh, I've seen this situation before, or you could synthesize ideas better, uh, this creates your creativity. But, you know, like a historian can say, oh, this situation in Israel right now, we have to look at the Balfour mandate and- Nineteen twenty nine, and we have to look at what happened, what's happening right now in Azerbaijan. or I me. Mean, like they could synthesize all these different situations and and have a a deeper understanding of what's happening. Deepness is important in chess, but it doesn't make up for what you lose. What you gain does not replace what you've lost.
1: But maybe it's it's also like the skills that you've been building up over the last twenty years or thirty years are very inapplicable. You know, like you built up a rapport, collaboration, um, and curiosity, um, supporting underprivileged, you know, perspectives, um, helping people, teaching, yeah. guiding, like that has no place in chess. So maybe you've been like, maybe you're playing the wrong game. I mean, in a, in a sense. No,
0: it's true, and I think you know. And I was originally, I was thinking I'd write a, a book on this, having succeeded at my. Right. Quest. Yeah. But now I'm sort of realizing, and I don't want to be cliche. I hate when people say it's the journey, not uh, the destination. But I've learned so much. And I've even, I would say, what's really interesting, my appreciation of a beautiful chess game has gone way higher because mm. I understand much more about the game and about games and competition in general. Mm. Because I've studied just the, na- the meta aspects of learning and competition and and all this stuff. So this is, you know, I've I've learned a lot. And I'm tired, though, of, of every single tournament not doing as well as I would have hoped.
1: How do you so, detach? You know, for me, it's been like, oh, I want to see, like, my number of subscribers. You know, like, I want to get to, like, originally it was, if I ever get to 100,000 subscribers... Uh, you know, I'd be incredibly happy and I told one of my friends, you know, punch me in the face if I ever talk about a million subscribers. And now I'm like, well, (laughs) you know, maybe I could get, yeah, I'm at 20% of the way there in just three years, you know, um, and if i just like devoted you know all of these resources to it um you know and it wouldn't even be at the exclusion of my research because research takes years to write a thing uh, right. i've been working on a single paper with with collaborators around the world for 8 months now and it's been ready to submit you know for 4 months and it's just like oh my god are we ever going to finish this thing and it's going to be a great result it'll be really fun but um so it's it's almost like irrelevant how much time you spend in science because, you know, so many other people have to have to be a part of it. Whereas the podcast, I can just put in twice as much money or effort and it will grow. So my question is, yeah, I mean, how much of the hedonic, you know, treadmill should I be, you know, fixating on? Should I really care about some arbitrary number or, you know, or should I really just say like well what's is it just a, de- a journey cuz if it's the destination you're right like then i should just only prioritize getting to a million subscribers
0: I'm, i mean it's it's both right so everything's a number so in in chess i was trying to get to a number or yeah. a, a particular rating in comedy you judge yourself by how many people how, how many seats can you fill um can you fill a club can you fill an arena can Netflix. you fill a stadium yeah, right. mm-hmm. can you fill a theater Uh, uh, in hedge fund management, it's your returns plus how many uh, assets under management you have and writers, it's social media followers and so on. So, uh, it's, so there's always some number that people aspire to, but yeah, I think you stop aspiring to it when it's not fun for you anymore, or you have to change it. So it becomes fun. It's hard to make losing fun, I mean yeah. <laughs> on the one hand you can say every law lo- you you really only it is true, you only do learn from the losses because it's like if there's something fundamental that you missed that you need to learn there's a blind spot now you could a game you win you didn't have any you didn't have as many blind spots you know theoretically so there's not as much to learn but when you lose you, or in anything and when you make a mistake in anything
1: yeah.
0: what was the not only what was the mistake so you don't repeat it but what was the style of thinking that you had that led to that mistake or mm. what concept did you not understand and I'm not, I'm not talking about chess i'm talking about investing or physics or anything yeah, but uh, you know so but when it, when it stops to become fun even acknowledging that losses are, uh, and suffering is a, lo- a learning experience. That's when you really have to start questioning it. And I don't know if I'm giving up too early, if I was too impatient, but it's never been hard for me before to improve at this domain. Mm. And, uh, now it, it seems to be extra. I've never spent like two straight years studying chess in my life. I have mm. had a one year period one time, another year period, another time. And I was a, Got hit the master level and then I stopped. Mm. And now it's like, oh, I'm beating myself up every day about this. And then I go to a tournament, and I'll lose games that I f- felt I shouldn't have lost. And I mean, if you're
1: not having fun, it just it doesn't seem you know, it doesn't seem to be worth it. You know, if you're, I mean, there's only so much time. I guess the question is, what is the opportunity cost? Like, what would you be doing? Let's say you say, I did this experiment, you know, in the ten thousand experiments rule. I did it, and you know, some most experiments fail, right? I mean, yeah. I don't have, and to I tell wouldn't it say this was a failure. Like no, no, no. I learned,
0: I learned a huge amount because I was able to learn with a goal in mind. So I think that helps learning,
1: yeah. and that that actually probably unlocked different opportunities and, and experiences. And so, no, there was no way, in no sense did you lose. You can't lose, but um, but what else would you be doing right now? I mean, I, what other things like? light you up and make you interested I mean obviously writing books but you know I've kind of felt like writing books I am writing another book but it's it's another version of my think like a Nobel Prize series you know where I've interviewed another nine Nobel Prize winners and I'm gonna just take those learnings and put them in a book and
0: I, I I've I've not written as much and I I I've been writing since 1990 I love writing yeah. I love the art of writing um so that's something I you know, I could write about this experience and all the adventures I went through. And it was mm-hmm. a big roller coaster in, in a lot of ways, not just about chess. And so I'm thinking about how to write about it. But, you know, now I just have a different conclusion than I thought I would have. So, which is always more what, interesting. I mean, I always cost. feel
1: like, you know, if you want to bore somebody, tell them about your great vacation to Paris, you know, whereas if yeah. you tell them, like, oh, I almost got, you know, uh, kidnapped and, uh, you know, and brought to. Yeah, like a- a bit
0: like- like if Brad Pitt wrote a book on uh how to pick up girls, it wouldn't exactly. it, it wouldn't be that interesting for for me. So, uh if I wrote that book, everybody should read it by the way.
1: <laughs> uh all right, James. Well, this has been fun. Let's do it every uh more more often.
0: Yeah, I should go on your podcast at some point. We should uh That'd be fun. do a round trip uh yeah. round trip to the sun.
1: Let's do it. I want to come back. I want to come visit you out there and obviously you're back here. Maybe we should do a, you know, 10-year reunion of uh, of TEDx San Diego. we